Welcome to the Power Your Life radio show with host and success doc, Joanne White. Author, speaker, certified coach, and energy master, Doc White gets to the heart of what matters most. She features guests and experts to help you consciously create more success, health, and wellness in every area of your life, work, and relationships. They'll share their success stories, wisdom, and know-how to help you shine more light onto your day and into your life. Power your life right now. Here's Joanne White. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me, Joanne White, on Power Your Life. And for many of us in the United States, a lot of people are looking at what's been happening in Texas and what may be happening in Florida. So we're sending out prayers to all the people and animals around the United States and also around the world for people to be safe and for animals to be safe. And oftentimes we forget about the importance of animals in our lives and how wonderful they are and how helpful and healing and beautiful they are and how they make a difference in our lives, our hearts, and our minds. And today I'm really very pleased to have two beautiful souls who recognize the importance of animals and the importance of dogs and have been doing something beautifully to really create social social change. Mark Barone and Marina Deveron. Mark is an artist and a narrative painter for 30-plus years. His work has been featured in top art publications, awarded and exhibited throughout the United States, with much of it in private and corporate collections, also globally. He's a national award-winning consultant using his talent to teach cities how to revitalize blighted neighborhoods with the arts. Mark's successful creation and implementation of the, you're going to have to help me there, the Paducah Artist Relocation Program won the Governor's Award in the Arts, the Kentucky Chapter of the American Planning Association Distinguished Planning Award, the Kentucky Earth Day Award for Preservation, and so much more, and the National Award from the American Planning Association for a Special Community Initiative Marie Dervon is a 25-year veteran of coaching corporate executives from both Wall Street and North America to London and continental Europe. Renowned as a dynamic, powerful, and inspiring coach, she's devoted her life to finding compassionate solutions to people problems and developed her own system, The Conflict Cure, helps leaders, celebrities, and couples identify and successfully navigate through the deluge of human emotions and harmful mental constructs, back to a place of peace and personal power. Mark and Barina founded an active dog by a force much stronger than themselves. After learning how many dogs are destroyed every day, Mark and Marina knew that they couldn't just turn away. Welcome, Mark and Marina. How are you? Hello. Thanks for having us. How are you? Wonderful. It's so good to have you. And this is really important. So what I'd love us to do is to really go to the beginnings because I think it's interesting for you to tell how you got motivated and interested in creating this wonderful 
active dog for social change. So Mark and whomever wants to talk, Mark, what what was the beginning of it? What happened? Uh, well, I have to speak to that because I'm the culprit. Um, oh, good. What happened, <laughs> yeah. That's okay, yes, Marina. Uh, it was uh, shortly sometime after Mark's dog, Santina, who was 22 when she died, um, we had moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I thought it might be a good idea to, you know, look at uh, adopting another dog. And obviously, Mark was not ready to do that. He was still grieving. And it just happened to be that day when I was looking online to adopt a dog. Uh, I didn't find uh, any such thing. What I discovered was the chilling numbers of animals that were being killed every year in shelters. And I, I just didn't know it. And so it took me by surprise. I had seen a bunch of graphic videos um, and the statistics and was just horrified that we as human beings could be doing uh, these things, you know, taking away lives that weren't ours to take away in the first place. So, so with that, I, have, I present, yeah. Were we taking, were these, these dogs, they were, they were killed or euthanized because we didn't, they didn't have any homes for them? What, or what was the reason that they were killing dogs? The, the reason that animals are killed in shelters, uh, and we don't use the term euthanasia, only for the, simply for the reason that we like accuracy and that uh, okay, euthanasia is, is, you know, is applied to someone that is sick, someone that cannot be rehabilitated. It's, it's for mercy. Oh, it's, and on, right. these animals in shelters are healthy, adoptable animals, but they unfortunately are in an archaic system that is not, proactive it's not a progressive sheltering model so it's a sort of a dump and kill model rather than being proactive doing off-site adoptions and following the no-kill methodology so that's that's kind of uh, what we had seen and we saw that the no-kill movement had some legs and uh, so we saw that there had to be another way so when I presented this to Mark way back then uh, as an artist, all he could do, obviously, was respond through that medium. And so he asked me to come up with an estimate for the number of dogs that are killed every day. Um, there are double the amount of cats, but that would have taken far too long to paint to do both of them and, and obviously very costly, And given we were doing it ourselves. Um, so that's kind of where it began. That was the catalyst for the whole thing. So why paint the dogs? What what was the impetus about that? What did you think the effect would be, Mark, by painting these dogs? And how many dogs? I mean, amazing amount, right? Yeah, I painted five thousand five hundred. I painted one day's worth, and I and I think that the impact uh, for me was that to have one person take almost five years of their life to paint this. Uh, on what we do in one day. And I thought it was important that there was a human connection between, you know, uh, my hand and, and the dogs that had, had perished in these, in these shelters. And so that was, that was important to me, you know, to, to capture these animals and to capture their spirits in a way that they could live on and help other animals uh, hopefully not go through the same fate. You know, your dog, 22 years, that's an amazing age for a dog. Usually dogs, and so well, I want to just 
digress a little bit. What was the secret to to having that kind of longevity in your dog? Uh, I I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. I mean, she just uh, uh, just kept going. I mean, you know, I mean, I walked her a couple times a day, and and uh, uh, you know, fed her you know uh, good food. And near the end, we were feeding her completely raw diet, and uh, I know that helped her longevity at the end. Um, but you know, I, yeah, there was a there was a vet that told me these dogs that are like between you know twenty five and thirty five pounds are the ones that live the longest, and she was about thirty five pounds. So I mean, she had a very long life, and so I, I don't know why it was. I mean, it's probably good genetics on her part more than anything I. <laughs> it's it's just amazing. <laughs> so these incredible paintings, five thousand five hundred paintings of animals. And the, of dogs, and this is the number, and you said, Marina, that that number is almost doubled now. This is the number of dogs that are killed every single day in shelters because they don't have proactive measures of getting adoptions for these dogs and, and finding homes for them. What has your movement done what you know how is it affecting people and 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 how is it making a difference well the first part of the uh project was to actually get the work painted and so during that time uh people were able to sponsor and see you know be part of uh you know seeing these animals come you know come to life through the paintings and they could actually uh, but a lot of them, a lot of these rescue groups and volunteers were not able to save these animals. And so they would send us the imagery and Mark would paint them. And so they felt very connected. And so they obviously are very aware of what's going on. Uh, but the public don't know what's going on. So the strategy was that if we could paint something of this magnitude, it would get enough media attention. If you get enough media attention, you can reach the people. If you can reach the people, you can educate them and make them be part of the solution and have them participate and wake them up to the, to the reality of what's going on so that people don't stand by blindly or ignorantly through no fault of their own, not realizing that, uh, you know, this has to change and we're all, we're all part of the solution. So it's been very impactful in that way. We have a following around the world and it's inspired people in every country We've had countries want the exhibit. We've had countries want us to uh, come and, you know, talk to, to their communities about it. So it's, you know, people are very passionate all around the world about it. And, uh, you know, it's like one of those things. It's easier to just keep it behind the curtain. Then I don't have to face it. You know, if you don't face it, you don't feel it. Therefore, you don't fix it. So this is about helping people face it. And of course, you know, as you, as most people know, media is pretty much controlled, and so art is not. So you can't art shut. You can't shut it down. You can't, you know, put a curtain in front of what we're doing. So the response of shelters, has that changed at all? How, are they making? different efforts? Is there something else happening because of the work that you you folks are doing? Yes, I think that there's definitely, uh, you know, a movement towards a compassionate, uh, you know, compassionate systems uh, within the shelters themselves. 
uh, you're finding uh, people that become educated through our project about, you know, why it's important to adopt these animals when they realize how many are getting killed. It changes their behavior. So if they're ordinarily uh, getting their dog from uh, a backyard breeder or they're buying their dog some other way, it helps them think about, well, you know what, I can go and I can save a life, you know, or if they've already got animals, they can foster. If they can't foster, they can help with transportation. There's so many ways that people actually now have become engaged because of what, you know, what they've seen through our project. Um, and, of course, aside from that, you know, we work in schools and show kids how to use art for social change. And so we expose those uh, young students to what's going on. So it gets them fired up. And it gets them engaged, and they then educate their parents. So it has this beautiful systemic effect. You had said that more cats. Now, I my Selena is about right, right about the time when she died last year, and she was a, a beautiful Siamese that was so mm-hmm. incredible. So I have a sensitivity both to dogs because I have dogs and cats. What, yeah. Um, that's an amazing. I mean, these these numbers are just mm-hmm. unbelievable. I mean, I am appalled, and and just by that response, it's almost like, well, life doesn't matter, so we'll just end it. You know, we can't end. Yep. And, and so, are you seeing like, a real difference? Go ahead. Are you seeing a real difference in the change of the numbers? I mean, is that making, is this, you know, are the numbers getting reduced because of, of the, the work that you're doing, or do you not know that yet? We, you, can, you can only hope that that's happening, but because there isn't transparency in shelters, because they're not required uh, to, uh, you know, to reveal their numbers, and there's ways, there's many, many loopholes, you know, people don't realize, when they take their, it's called owner surrender. Whenever you take an animal into a shelter, you you don't realize that you're actually signing it over to them to kill it for you. And so oh. they can take it to the back immediately. And most of the time they do take it to the back immediately. And those numbers, they don't even count on their records as part of their euthanasia numbers. And so there's lots of loopholes. And of course, shelters have reasons for terrible reasons, space, you know, food bowl aggression. There's all kinds of pathetic reasons that they are taking these lives away rather than actually being proactive like the the really uh, powerful shelters that are following uh, the no-kill strategy. So unfortunately, until you have people that are willing to be honest, but when you're killing, most people aren't comfortable being honest about that. So... That's the problem. When you, if you take killing off the table, then I think transparency would be very easy. Right. So until that so time, let me ask never you this. So I, I'm, I have a dog. This is a hypothetical. I have a dog, and I can't care for my dog anymore, and I bring this dog into a shelter hoping that you'll find a good home for for my sweet dog that whatever and do they say to the what do they say to somebody like me who's turning over my dog do they say well we'll try to get find a home 
will do the best that they can. Because you said that, that sometimes they just take them in the back room and immediately kill them. Yes, they do. So some of them might tell you, you know, that that, that, that that's a possibility. They might say, well, hold your, you'll keep, they'll keep it for a couple of days. But, you know, the majority, unless they're following the proactive no-kill strategies of the no-kill equation, then the majority of them will, will, will be killed. That's just sad. You know, of course, there are shelters that work hard, very hard, to save as many lives as possible, um, and that's commendable. However, there is a lot of them that do exactly that. You know, we, Mark actually did an 8 by 8 foot of a, and that was a cat, where they took the cat, and we actually have the records, the paperwork, because there was a legal uh, battle around it. They took this girl's cat and killed it in 60 seconds. Literally uh. 60 seconds later. That cat was dead. Yeah. You know, it's very painful. And it's very painful to for me to hear this story because these and and any animal that I've had has always come from a shelter. You know, from because I think that that's so important. But um, this no kill policy. Tell us more about that and how and how it could be more productive and and utilized within within these shelters and and, and other places well there is a no kill movement and that's up to the shelter themselves whether or not they're willing to change and they're willing to look at you know taking their numbers from you know 80 90% kill to nine, over 90% save rate and there are you know a lot of great shelters doing this in big cities small cities rural areas and there's plenty of information online about that where they can do that. Um, and of course, you know, we just encourage people to, you know, they can, you know, go to the shelter, adopt, go to your rescue groups and adopt. And primarily, if you kind of support, uh, you know, make sure you support your local rescue groups because they're actually the the people that are pulling the animals from the high kill shelters and are finding foster homes for them, and then they're forever homes. And rescue groups get very little financial support. You know, a lot of people don't realize that, so they give their money over to big shelters and big animal organizations that are really not the ones doing the life-saving at all. It's the rescue group. So I just encourage people to think about that. Yeah, I have a friend actually in in Pennsylvania who what they do is they rescue mostly cats. They rescue cats, and it's sometimes in her house she has anywhere from 12 to 14 cats and she's really created a whole mm-hmm. place for them to and then she finds homes for them but it takes a while like you know to to right. find right home so sometimes she's having yeah. them for for some time but but the, the group that she belongs it's a volunteer group they don't get any money they do it out of no the kindness and and generosity of their hearts and love for animals, which, you know, is very important. Mark, I have a question for you. When you were painting, because basically these paintings are not, you know, they're of real animals. What was the feeling as an artist of going through your mind as you're painting a dog that's about to be killed or or that, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know if I could do that. (laughs) I so I'm just curious. Yeah, well, all the, all the dogs I painted uh, were killed. Um, the, the pictures that were taken of them were taken of them before they were killed, 
Um, but they, 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 by the time they get to me, they were already dead. Um, you know, it, it was, it's, it's a, it's a much bigger, uh, process that I go through mentally when I, when I do it. I mean, each one of these dogs had a soul. They each had a spirit. They're all different. Um, and to try to capture that. But my, my main goal was to, um, it, it was the 5,500 as a whole. It was one statement. And, you know, if you hung the show, I mean, each panel is one foot by one foot. So if you hung them 10 feet high, they would go almost two football fields long. And that was the statement. But each individual wow. portrait, each individual portrait, captured that specific animal and their spirit. And I didn't want to do it if you know. I first tried it out when we first started the project, just to see if I could actually do it. And you know, if I couldn't capture the soul of these animals, if I couldn't capture you know uh, who they were as, as uh, spirits, uh, then I wouldn't have done it. If it was just became an assembly line of just you know, trying to crank out 5,500 paintings. I had no interest in that at all. And so it was uh, about paying homage to these animals that died needlessly. And then as a collective whole, you know, showing people that this is what we do on a daily basis. And, you know, when faced with 5,500 paintings all hung up and you're surrounded by them and it goes as far as the eye can see, it becomes very real. And that was the reason for doing it. You know, that was the reason. And to me, that's what art is about it. You know, I mean, I have a lot of my friends that paint to sell work and they paint because, you know, they think people will buy it. I have absolutely no interest in that. I mean, if work is not purposeful for me, I have absolutely no interest in doing it. And this was about, you know, making a statement about as a country, this is what we do. And we all seem to be okay with it because we want to shove it all under the rug. We really don't want to talk about it. And the media certainly doesn't want to cover what we're doing because it's not a happy story. And so those are all the reasons that I did it. And those are all the reasons that pushed me to continue to complete the 5,500. You know, I don't know that everybody knows that that so many or or have known that until you guys came on, came on the scene that so many dogs and so many cats are killed daily because for whatever reason because they just don't know what else to do with them, which to me is 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 a real travesty. But I I don't think that, that, you know, if you looked at many of the people, let's say, in the United States, if they knew about that, and now you're getting the word out, thank you, thank you, would that make a difference? Does that make a difference? Could we put pressure on these shelters to say, you know, you ha- no, this, is, this, this does not work. This is killing life. You have to do something different. Yes, you certainly can. With private shelters, it's a different story. You know, you, you don't have any control over that. But our tax dollars are used in these, uh, you know, the city-run shelters. So, uh, you know, it, even from whether it's an, from an ethical point of view or a financial point of view, it doesn't actually make any sense to actually take these lives away. And from an, just from an economic point of view, the amount of money that the uh, shelter has to spend, let's say the animal's there for five days, four or five days, that's medical care, that's food, that's, you know, a whole bunch of costs uh, for keeping that animal there. And you can't recover those costs unless you actually adopt the animal out. So you're basically pissing tax dollars away 
and, you know, not, not regaining any of it. So financially it doesn't make sense, but certainly from a point of consciousness, it's a very sad reflection of us, of where we're at in our consciousness as a society. If they knew. You know, if they knew. And so I think there's a lot that people can do. You know, people can go to their city officials. They can, they can have a voice. And they can also go and help the shelter and say, hey, let us help partner with you. How can we help you move in a direction that is saving lives rather than taking them away? And there's lots that, of ways you know, that's to a... do that. Yeah, that's a really important point to, you know, to, have, to go to a shelter and say, how can we help you? What can we do to, you know, to, to make sure that these animals are saved? And you know what's so interesting? They're finding out that, that dogs and dogs have been with helping us in so many different ways. Dogs can actually detect certain diseases. Dogs are there for rescue. Dogs, you know, mm-hmm. so many so many different things and have I even, you know, they're, they're even helped save lot, so many lives that it, we are doing such a disservice to, to these yeah. beautiful animals that um, didn't ask to be here or whatever. And, and they're, and firstly, they're so usually so trusting and so loving until we do something to mm-hmm. them. And even then they're trusting and loving, which is so unfortunate. So I digress a little bit, but let's talk a little. Let's talk about what you're doing and how you're raising funds and how we can be a part of of raising funds for these rescues. Well, what we, you know, we have, you know, two parallel pathways. Uh, you know, obviously the first was getting the, getting uh, getting all the paintings done, and then the second phase was actually uh, creating products that you know, creating nice fine art products. So we have T-shirts, we have prints, we have nightlights, you know, using all of the artwork. And those are sold around the world. And so that helps us be able to help rescue groups. So we have different ways that we do that. You know, some we work with personally one-on-one. So like we're working, developing some uh, specific prints for that a particular rescue where they can have their name on it and have one of Mark's paintings and that will help raise funds for an active dog and it will raise funds for their rescue group. Um, so the more people come and they donate and they buy the products, the more money we can raise and then the more money we can give back. Um, so that's one. And then the other pathway is we go into schools and we work with students and show them how to use the art to be a voice the social change. So we work specifically with them on the animal causes, but we also expose them to how they can use their art to be a voice for all social atrocities. And then the, the money that comes, uh, the projects we do with them, so their artwork then raises money for different rescue groups and their art advocacy program that we've helped them create. And what's the response in schools for, for this program and also from, from their families, the families of these children that are, that are working in this regard? Uh, it's pretty profound. We've got one of the, we just finished working with the Waldorf School in Santa Fe, and they have a, a, an art show with the work uh, actually on Monday. Um, and it's pretty amazing to hear these young people. First of all, they're really uh, they're saddened and outraged. They're shocked uh, when they first witness the problem. 
And then, you know, once they start to digest it and start to put it into what they're going to create, then they feel like, wow, they can be part of something. They can be part of changing something important. And, uh, you know, I know that some of the kids we work with, there's a wonderful school, Stonehill Middle School in Virginia, uh, and Aaron Wells, who is an amazing school teacher that really uh, started a program exposing these kids to what's happening uh, to animals in the world. And so, you know, we uh, have, you know, partnered with the, that school and those kids as well. And you'll see those kids are part of the PBS documentary, as is uh, the, the teacher, Aaron Wellsey, who I'm sure will inspire many other teachers to get involved in using art in this way. And when we asked the kids, I mean, they answered so many amazing questions and their answers were profound. But pretty much, you know, these kids before the project thought, well, you know, we can create nice art, you know, to go with the, 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 the homes or we can just create art for art's sake. But now they believe they can, they can make art to change the world. And that's pretty powerful for to come out of the mouths of sixth graders, and then to uh, see yeah. them also go. They go to their tea, uh, their family, and uh, you know, one kid went to uh, her parents and said, "That's it. We're throwing out everything that's been tested on animals." And so she changed the parents, <laughs> and that's the way Good. we're doing it. So the kids, the kids are actually educating the adults, and these kids were able to get over 650 adults to come to their event. They raised thousands of dollars for a couple of different rescue groups. So it's very, very powerful because the kids today are our future leaders, and it's critical that they understand the power of creativity and the power of their own voice and how they can use it for, for the betterment of mankind. You know, I'm so glad that you're doing that because, like you said, these 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 kids are the leaders, and and they can actually once they once they are clued into what's going on, they can affect really dynamic change. And and like you said, mm-hmm. they're educating their families who may not have thought about it, or you know, we're eating exactly. what you know whatever it is, and and that's so important. You had mentioned that that there are so many people globally that are interested in what you folks are doing. My question is, is this policy of killing dogs and cats in shelters, is this something that's that's just in the United States or what goes on in, in other countries? How is this handled in other places? It's pretty much around the world. Uh, Germany actually is a no-kill country. Um, they, they're pretty amazing with the way that they handle their, they don't believe in uh, killing the animals. They have an amazing system for being proactive and saving, saving lives. So, um, and I'm sure there are some other countries that are doing great as well. But, you know, for the most part, this, this happens around the world. And then, of course, you've got countries where, Cats and dogs are seen as the same as all animals, and so that that brings that's a whole other conversation. Um, but right. that's a cultural con- that's a different cultural context where, you know, they eat all the animals. They eat the cows, or you know, the pigs, the horses, the cats, the dogs, uh, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, right. So yeah, yes. and we've we've had a lot of contact and support from uh, South Korea um, and uh, Hong Kong. 
you know, where actually Hong Kong wanted the entire exhibit because these young uh, leaders there want to change that dynamic, that what we're doing with the cats and the dogs and, um, and South Korea as well. So the, the, the new generation are, are awake to this, and they want to be part of that change. So we're uh, always happy to hear from them and anything we can do to inspire them to come up with a way to uh, wake their people up. You know, we're happy to do that. And and I think that that's so important. It's not just, like you said, not just in the United States, but a whole global movement. You've got to start somewhere, too. So starting here is important. You mentioned, Marina, the PBS documentary. Um, can you tell us about this a little bit? You may not have enough information, uh, but just, just alert our listeners as to what this is about and, and, and the prospective dates for it, et cetera. Yeah, they came along, I think we were two years into the project. About a year and a half. We're about a year and a half into Mark painting the project. And uh, Saga City Productions, it's a documentary uh, film makers from Boston, partnered with PBS to uh, make a documentary about what we're doing. So they have been following our journey now for the past four years or so, a little bit more. And so finally, uh, because they wanted to capture all aspects of the project from the paintings to the finishing of the 5500, then the work we're doing with the schools. So they captured all of that. And uh, fortunately, so now it's it's gone past the editing uh, phase. They finished that. And they're working on the promotion of it with PBS uh, for an October release of this year. So fingers crossed. it goes ahead. Well, it's very exciting. And are they going to be raising funds on, you know, for 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 animals and and for I mean, with this or or no? You don't know. Say that again. Uh, are they going to? Sometimes PBS does something where they have programs and they're also raising funds either for the program or for PBS public, you know, whatever. I'm just wondering if they're going to be doing that or just showcasing. And not just, just, but showcasing everything that's been going on with, with what you guys are doing. Yeah, I don't know, you know, because we're not involved in that. That's purely the, the filmmakers. But uh, as far as we know, the PBS uh, documentary will be released in October. And, uh, you know, in a couple of weeks probably we'll have uh, a closer, you know, a, a specific date whenever they work that out. Um, but that's yeah, that's as much as we know right now. Well, keep me posted so I can help promote this for you guys because I think it's important. What you know, where do you want this to go? Because this is something that's not necessarily finite. It's not going to end now. You're not going to stop doing what you're doing. What's your goal? Where do you see this going? And how can we help to fulfill the potentiality of it? Well, Mark and I, you know, didn't have the means to do this in the first place, but we did it. Um, And so it would be wonderful if, uh, you know, there are people we know out there that have the financial means that can help us actually create a magnificent space with uh, with the exhibit, with the artwork, and an interactive space where we can have schools from around the world actually come in and create powerful, uh, powerful art that, you know, raises money and educates. So, you know, we want to create a really amazing interactive space, and that could be in any city. 
uh, anywhere in in America, but it's going to take a philanthropist to help us. And so whether that happens through someone that's listening to to your show or through the uh, spread of the story via the PBS documentary uh, is yet to be seen. So, uh, but people can certainly go online and support us with donations and uh, buying beautiful products. Well, thanks. Yeah, yeah. What I do think you that, want? To... In... Go ahead, Mark. Uh, I, I said, I, you know, in the in the interim, I think that people that you know that uh, you know that donate, like Marina said, and buy products is really going to help us to help the rescue groups and help us push forward with our educational programs. So um, as we you know wait for more funds to roll in in order to get the actual space up, uh, you know, w- you know, we need help in that area too. What would you say to? animal owners, dogs and cats who go into shelters, what do you want them to know to bring their animal there? What what do you want them to know? How do you want them to be educated? And what could we do to to change their minds or or to help them advocate for, you know, for for life? Well, there are different reasons why people end up doing it. You know, like they could get an animal that, that, say, needs more training. And they don't know how to do that, you know. And so you have to encourage those people to realize there are solutions to every problem. So whether that's the issue, they can get a trainer to help with them, you know. So you first you have to identify what what is the reason. Obviously, if there's a death in the family and an animal gets left, you don't want to bring it to the shelter, and people don't realize that the animal is going to get killed. So they'd have to bring it to a no-kill shelter, or they'd have to talk to a rescue group. You know, to see, you know, to, you know, to get some help on on that, and uh, you know, but when you take on an animal, you. Hello. We. I don't know where you guys are, but we're having a little difficulty. We've been talking to. Mark and Marina, and something happened with their call, so hopefully they'll call back. Mark Barone and Marina Durvan. Um, this is about their non their organization, their nonprofit, an active dog, which is actually helping people say helping us save lives. You guys are back. I don't know what happened. How are yeah. you? Go ahead, Marina. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got dropped, but we're here. We're back. Okay, so you were talking about what people could do with their animals rather than them bringing them into a shelter to get killed. Yeah, I mean, you have to you have to make a lifetime commitment to that animal, and there are plenty of resources out there to get help. You know, there are some people struggle because they can't feed their own families, and they they you know they they can't afford to to feed their animals. Well, there are a lot of food banks that actually provides food for animals as well in most communities where you can get free food. So it's about finding solutions rather than extinguishing a life. And you have to realize that's what you're doing. You're taking away a life that's given you a lifetime of love. And that's an incredibly profound statement because what they do in terms of, of the love that they give their owners and the families, they become part of the family. They become devoted and loving and caring. There was one video I had seen a while ago of 
a cat actually saving a, a young boy's life who was being hurt, and the cat came to the the, the young boy's rescue. I mean, these are animals that care, that mm-hmm. love, that 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 think, that respond, and they do so much to to help us. And it is a, such a travesty. So we're running out yeah. of time, but tell people how they can get a hold of you how they can contribute to an active dog, how they can help to create more for social change with what you're doing. Well, they can visit our website, which is anactofdog.org. They can visit us on Facebook, you know, any of our social media sites under an active dog or Mark Baroni. Um, and, you know, stay connected with us that way and, you know, look at the various different ways that they can support what we're doing. Um, and obviously I encourage them to find ways to use their talents to contribute to the animals in their own community. There's lots of ways that they can do that. Wonderful. So uh, as a final parting word, what do you want people to know? What, what's in, what do you want to leave people with, our listeners with today, Mark and Marina? Uh, I think that the the thing that I have learned that is is most significant is that, you know, happiness doesn't come from serving yourself. It comes from serving others. And when you realize the weight of that statement, it will help you turn your attention outwards towards contributing and making your life about contribution. Go out there and serve these issues and be in service of the people that need you and especially the animals because when they when we say they have no voice they literally have no voice we are their voice and they're completely dependent upon us to do the right thing so you know whenever you're feeling down and feeling sorry for yourself turn it around and start and and move your life towards being in service and you'll find you'll become a lot happier yeah, you know i, I think I, that's I think... go ahead more no, go ahead. I was just going to say I think that's a really, you know, very profound statement to really do service. I think that that's part of the reason we're here. We're here to love and to serve others. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's you know the the you know the uh, the killing continues unless people get involved and get educated. And uh, um, you know, I know a lot of people that don't want to look at the imagery of what's really happening, but unless you get informed and get involved. It will continue, and uh, you know another 5,500 gone today, and twice that many cats. And uh, um, my my only message is get involved. You know you can foster for a couple days, you can foster for a week, you can you know work at the shelter, you can walk the dogs. I mean, there's so many things you can do that don't uh, uh, take money. Yeah, you can take pictures of the dogs. You know, I mean, there's people with those kind of skills. So that yeah, and social media to help them get adopted. So. Um, you know, really, you know, it will continue unless they get involved So and get informed. Well, I'm so glad that you both have, are involved and are getting so many youngsters involved and are really moving this, and I hope that it continues and you find that place, whether it's, well, wherever it is in the United States, or to to really hone and have that, that beautiful exhibit and do more educational programs so that the awareness grows and that we are becoming more and more sensitive and, 
to what's going on and not just sensitive, but to, to work out beautiful solutions. So thank you both so much for all that you do. And good luck to you. Keep me informed about your documentary so we can help promote it. And thanks again. Thank you for having us on. Thank you for having us. And thank you for all that you're doing as well to be a voice for all of these issues. Thank you so much, both of you. Have a blessed day. Remember, we're calling this show Power Your Life. And and as Mark and Marina were talking, these dogs and cats don't have voices, but you have a powerful voice. You can actually help change the lives of animals, the lives of people, and can really change the social complexion of things. So really take care and use your voice, use your talents to to make a difference. Speaking of making a difference, next week, September 13th, we have Farrah Krennic, who has been on the show and is delightful and has is also doing much to create advocacy and social change. If you want to get a hold of me, Joanne, at docwhite.org or go to my website, docwhite.org or drjoannewhite.com and find out more about our programs. And remember, each and every day, do something very small or big to empower yourself and to make a difference in the life of others. Thanks so much for joining me and have a blessed day and safe day, night, evening, wherever you are. You've been listening to the Power Your Life radio show with host and author, Dr. Joanne White. Listen often and spread the word about the upbeat show to enrich you and grow your life in the direction you desire. Listen again and again and visit docwhite.org for more information and find out how Dr. Joanne can benefit you. Thank you for sharing your day with us and stay tuned for more exciting guests and events to come.